Amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. Again, if you just walked in, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Really glad that you guys have joined us. As I said earlier, we're in a, a new church, and we're in a new series in the book of Philippians, considering what it means to have joy that goes beyond our circumstances. And this is a great book for us to go through because it's not written from a palace. It's written from a prison. The Apostle Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, and he's chained to a Roman guard, yet it's a letter filled with joy. He's a a person filled with joy. He challenges the Philippians to have joy, and he challenges us to have joy beyond any circumstance we may face. And so I'm excited to continue in that series, continue in that study with you. So I'd invite you now to grab a Bible. Uh, There should be one on the floor in front of you if you don't have one. And head to the book of Philippians. It's sandwiched right between Ephesians and Colossians in the New Testament. Head there, and as you do that, let me pray for our time together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time where we get a few moments to look at your word to be changed by it, to be challenged by it. God, I pray for the men and women in this room that you would soften hearts, that you would prepare us to meet with the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer of all things. God, that you are with us even now. And and so I pray that even as I'm praying, these men and women would pray that, that you would teach them something this morning, that you would transform our hearts, transform our minds, that for those that are confused, that you would bring clarity. For those that are hurting, God, you would bring healing. For those that are in sin, God, that you would bring sanctification. And for all of us, as we look at your word, that we would see life as you see it and respond accordingly. Father, we need your help for that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I love lots of things. Uh, I love the sun. Phoenix is a good place to live for me. I love the sun because I love not having to layer up every time I go outside. And I love, I have two little kids, I love not having to layer them up as I go outside with them. I love having access to vitamin D all year round. Like not the supplements, the direct thing, the real thing. I love the sun. But I also love sports. Like, I love playing sports, watching sports, and I love the stories of sports. There's these episodes that come on ESPN called um, My Wish, and uh, I love these episodes, and I make everybody in our family sit down and watch and just take in the moment. And I don't know if you've seen these, but it's basically a, a child with a serious illness or someone with a big challenge in their life, and they get to meet one of their favorite athletes, one of their favorite players. And they don't just get to meet them and get an autograph. They get to hang out with them. They get to throw the ball with them. They get to run out of the tunnel with them. As I watch this, sometimes I might imagine myself playing with my favorite player, Tony Romo. Just go deep. Tony! I I imagine that. I love sports. I love the stories. I love everything about sports. But I also love fajitas. I'm from Texas. I love Tex-Mex. I love fajitas. And I love it when they sizzle. Like when they still are sizzling as they bring them out to you. And I don't know how you do your fajitas, but I'll take the grated cheese sometimes if I'm feeling healthy. I'll take the grated cheese and I'll sprinkle it all over the sizzling skillet and just let it melt. And it becomes liquid cheese. I love liquid cheese. It's, it's amazing. I love 
the sun, I love sports, I love fajitas. But I also love my wife. I also love my kids. There's a difference, isn't there? Same word, different meaning. Like, I don't love fajitas as much as I do. I don't love fajitas as much as I love my family. There's a difference, right? There's lots of things that you would say, I love in a moment, but it's different than the love that you have for your family. It's different than the love you have for God. You see, I think as we look at love in our culture, a lot of us have watered down the meaning of love. And and even in our own lives, we've watered down the meaning of love. And even as you walk in here this morning, that if you're honest, you're longing for, you're wanting for the real thing. Like the love that would be lasting, the love that would be genuine, the love that would be there when nobody else is there, that it would sustain you in your relationships with others, and it would sustain you in your relationship with God. That even if you're not a Christian, even if you come in here and you say, well, I don't know Jesus, this idea of love, a lasting love, a genuine love, a persevering love, that's appealing to you. Because a lot of us don't experience that because we have a watered-down version of love. And so we need to ask, what does real love look like? Like, What does that look like in our lives, and how do we get that kind of love? And so that's what we're going to do as we look at the book of Philippians. Go with me to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. Let's read that together. Verse 9, it says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So verse 9, if you look at verse 9, it begins with a prayer. Uh, We're doing these three verses because it's Paul's prayer and there's a lot in here so we wanted to dig in that together. It begins with a prayer and Paul prays for love. And the first thing we see is that's a growing love. Look back at verse 9 with me. It says that your love may abound more and more. It's very extravagant, isn't it? Like he could have just prayed, I pray that you have love and that you give love. But he doesn't. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. Very extravagant love. But as you look at scripture, you see this kind of love throughout. Like there's a few places I wanted to point out to you, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, it says this, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians, we just read. Uh, You know what it says. Proverbs 10, love covers all wrongs. 1 John 4, perfect love drives out fear. Luke 6, Jesus says this, love your enemies and don't expect anything in return. The Bible speaks of an extravagant love, and it's this type of love, not the watered-down version. It's this love that Paul prays would abound more and more. Did you know, as you look at your life, as you look at our culture, that you can't love too much? You can't love too much. You don't ever hear when marriage is split up that, you know, there was lots of issues, lots of things going on, but ultimately what it came down to is we just loved each other a bit too much. You don't ever hear that. You don't ever hear when there's conflict in friendships that, you know, it's just like every time, every time they're around me, they just love me. It's so awkward. 
It's so annoying. I mean, I kind of was looking for a more well-rounded friendship that had some selfishness, some hate mixed in. You know, that would have been nice, but they just love me. It's only love all the time. Do you ever hear that? No. Because you can't love too much. And so Paul prays that you would love more, that it would abound more and more, because there's always room for more love. My wife and I were just uh, talking about this week. Uh, about some friends of ours who just love us really, really well. They love us well. They're not in Phoenix, but they're uh, afar. Even, they, even though they're afar in a different state, they just love us well uh, through cards, through phone calls, through just conversations with them. And they're the kind of people that when we're down, we think about them. And we think, man, it would be really great to hang out with Jason and Alex. It really great just to get around them because they're just so loving they're the kind of people that you can't get a question in. Right? Do you have these friends? Like you can't get a question in to them about their life because they're so interested in your life. So much so that it's become a game. When I talk to the husband on the phone, it's a game for me. And I'll, I'll come up with like five questions in advance to, to ask him, to rattle off to him and be like, how's your life? How's your spouse? How's your school? How's your church? And just like throwing them at him and Sure enough, about halfway through, he'll interrupt me because he knows by now what I'm trying to do. And he'll say, well, no, 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 no. How about you? Enough about me. How about you? It's, it is kind of annoying. I, I want to win. I want to ask him more questions than he asked me. But it's difficult because he just loves us so well. They're the kind of friends that everything we do is awesome. So we started Phoenix Bible Church. Dude, that's so awesome. It's awesome that you guys are doing that. You meet at night at a church downtown, that's so awesome. Dude, that's, that's going to reach a totally different demographic. That's so awesome. You got a morning location? Dude, that's awesome. That is so awesome. You guys are going to grow and flourish. You're going to love this. That's so awesome. You're such a great leader and pastor. I'm like, thank you. You're so nice. I love hanging out with you. I, I can't get enough. Um, they just love us really well, and even in the hard times. Like, I remember when my wife had a miscarriage, they were one of the first people who called us just to say, what can we do for you? How can we pray for you? How can we be there for you? They weren't even in the same city as us, but they just wanted to be there for us in a really difficult situation. As we've moved and had transitions in life, they always call. They always send a card to ask, how are you doing? How is that going? What can we pray for you about? They just love us really well because you can't love too much. Like, we can't have enough people like that in our lives. As a church, we want to be a people that Paul prays for. We want to be a people that tangibly loves those around us, that it would abound more and more. It's challenging, right? Because we have friends like that. I love it, but sometimes it's challenging because I think, do I love people like this? As we read Paul's prayer it's great, a love that abounds more and more, but we think, does, does my love do that? Does my love abound more and more? Do I love people well? So if you're feeling that weight like I am and feeling that tension like I am, how do we experience and express this love? Like, how does that happen? Look back at the text with me. The second part of verse 9 says this. So Paul's praying for this love to abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment. So 
we see Paul pray for a growing love, a love that abounds more and more. We also see Paul pray for a love that's rooted in knowledge. And this is fascinating because in our culture, love often is removed from knowledge. They're separated. Like when we think about love, we even have catchphrases, right? Like stupid love, crazy love, drunk in love. Like that's how we talk about love. We remove it from knowledge so much that we talk about the silly things we do in love. Because we just, we're not even thinking straight when we're in love. Yet, Paul prays for a love that abounds with knowledge, with all discernment. You see, this, this makes sense if you look at the Bible, that the more we know about God, the more we grow in our knowledge of, of God, the more we learn about him and think on him, the more our love for him grows. Because ultimately, what you think about is what you care about. This is true in all of life. What you think about, what you learn about, what you know is going to drive down to your heart and is going to be what you care about. For the first time in our marriage, we have a fireplace. And it's dropped below 60 degrees recently. So we start a fire almost every night. We're taking full advantage of that fireplace. And... um, we have to add things for that fire to grow, right? If you have a fire, you know this. You can't just turn it on. Maybe if you have a gas fireplace, you can. Uh, but if you have a real fireplace, you have to put wood in the thing to grow, the fire. And if you're not a Boy Scout like me, um, I use starter logs because they start immediately, the fire. It's amazing. You should try it. And it adds fuel to the fire. It helps it to grow. Much like wood and starter logs to a fire, knowledge is to our love. Like it fuels our love. As we think about God, as we learn about God, as we know God more, our love begins to grow because they're really connected. Because what you think about is what you'll care about. I mean, just think about God and his vast weightiness, like how big God is. We can never tap the knowledge of God. Like we can never get to a point where we just, we got this. We can never get to a point, and when I was in seminary, a lot of guys would talk about palming the Bible, like a basketball. Palming the Bible. That's just stupid. Um, you, if anything, the Bible palms you. It's too big. It's too much about God's character, his nature, his person, his work. There's never anything you could just say, any time in life you could just say, I know everything I need to know about God. Because he's too big. You just think about Jesus. Jesus is fully God, yet fully man. Isn't that mind-blowing? Jesus is fully God, but fully man. He is the just and the justifier, meaning that he is the righteous judge, yet he takes our penalty for our crime committed against the God of the universe. He is just and justifier. Jesus is our advocate. He is interceding for us, seated next to the right hand of the Father, even now. He's interceding for you and me. He is our advocate. So in your sin, shame, and guilt, Jesus is saying, he's mine, she's mine. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our propitiation for our sin. Jesus is our propitiation for our sin. He absorbs all of God's wrath, past, present, and future, and he exchanges that wrath with favor. Like, these are just some of the aspects of who Jesus is in his person and in his work. And then you have the whole Old Testament. 
that none of us ever read. Like, when's the last time you read Obadiah? Like, there's some things to learn about God in Obadiah. We can never tap the knowledge of God. And as we begin to learn about God, as we begin to think upon God, you can't help but be in awe of God. You can't help but grow in your love for God because knowing and, and learning about God, knowledge of God fuels our love for God. It helps it grow. So we have a, a growing love that Paul prays for. We have a rooted love that Paul pray, prays for and knowledge and all discernment. And then the third thing we see is we have a, a transforming love. A transforming love because what you think about is what you'll care about, but it's also what changes you. Because you begin to think on God. As you begin to grow in your knowledge of God, your love begins to grow for God. And as your love begins to grow for God, it transforms your life. So Paul prays for a growing love, a rooted love, a transforming love for us and those around us. You see this in Romans 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Resist what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. There's a direct connection between loving God and good works, between loving God and righteousness, love that grows, that's rooted in knowledge of God, transforms our entire life. You see that in verse 10. It says the effect of love, this abounding love that's, that's rooted in knowledge. Look at the text. It says it may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless at the day of Christ when Christ returns. You see, real love changes us. Love in the Bible is an efficacious love. It's a love that brings about an effect. Like love in the Bible is not stagnant. Like it never just stops with a feeling. It has an effect on our lives. It, it transforms our lives. And in this text, we see that that effect, that transformation is holiness, pure, blameless, that you can determine what is excellent, that you can give your life to that. In 1967, John Lennon wrote this song, All You Need Is Love. Great song, very catchy. All you need is love. You, you know the song? Yeah. All you need is love. John Lennon writes this beautiful song, yet if you do some research on his life, reportedly, just a few tidbits, reportedly John Lennon beat both of his wives, abandoned his son, and once had a camera crew film him lying naked in his bed all day. He wrote this beautiful song about love. He penned this song about love, that all you need is love. Yet there was a gap in his life. It didn't lead to transformation. Now, I don't know the full scope of John Lennon's life. I don't know what he went on to do. But as we look at his life, and if we look at those tidbits, and we begin to to judge John Lennon, we need to be careful, right? Like we need to look at our own selves. Like how many times in our lives do we say, I love other people, but there's no sacrifice. There's no commitment. There's no fruit from that. How many times do we say, like, I love my spouse, but maybe we've been married for eight years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, and all those things we did to express our love to our spouse when we first got married, those are just distant memories. We think, well, she knows. 
She knows I love her. Like, the ring on her finger, that kind of says it, right? I mean, we sleep in the same house, sleep in the same bed. She knows. We say we love our spouse, but we begin to take that for granted, and we don't show it with action. It doesn't transform us anymore. As we look at our relationship with God, we say, I love God. First place in my life, God. Yet, our time, our talent, our treasure doesn't reflect that at all. In fact, if we were honest and we look at our time, talent, and treasure, it looks like we love ourselves. It looks like we love things. Not God. And I do this in my life. Um, I say I love things. I say I love my spouse. I say I love my family. I don't give them the time that I should. It doesn't produce the results I should. I say I love Jesus, but it doesn't always bring fruit and good deeds and righteousness in my life. And so I need to be, you need to be reminded. We need to be challenged with a model and a motivation for this type of love, for a transforming love. You see that a little bit in the Old Testament in the story of Naomi and Ruth. Have you guys heard this story? Naomi and Ruth. It's, a, it's an amazing story that actually foreshadows the gospel and the kind of unconditional transforming love that Jesus gives us. But the brief story, if you don't know, is Naomi uh, moved with her family from Bethlehem to a place called Moab during a famine. She's in this place called Moab. There's a famine. Her husband dies. And if that's not bad enough, her two sons die. And they're married. And so Naomi Lost her husband, loses her two sons, just moved to a new place, and she has these two daughter-in-laws. That's all that's left. And so she thinks, I'm going to go back home. And she goes to her daughters-in-law, and she says, like, you guys should go to be with your families. Like, this is what should happen. And one of the daughters, her name is Orpah, not, not Oprah, but Orpah, and um, she decides to go back to her people, to her traditions, to go back to what's comfortable. And who could blame her, right? She lost her husband. Um, she lost her father-in-law. Life has, has changed. So she goes back and says, I'm going back to be with my family. But Ruth does something different. I, wa I want you to hear it in the text itself. It says this. Ruth says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is transforming love. Now, this is a love that's, that's growing, that's rooted and that transforms her life, Naomi's life, and generations to come. Ruth goes on to marry a guy named Boaz. And they go on to be the great-grandparents of King David. Do you see that? Do you see that transforming love? It wasn't just a thing where Ruth said, Naomi, I love you, um, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I love you, but I'm going to go do this because it's comfortable for me. No, it it was a love that, that transformed. She stayed. It affected her location. It affected the rest of her life, but it transformed her life. And not just her life, those that were around her as well as generations to come because she made that decision to have that efficacious love, 
to have that love that not just abounded, that didn't just grow in knowledge, but that transformed her life. Do you have that love? Like, do you see that model? Do you see that motivation for love? If you don't, there's a better story in the New Testament. Like, there's a better story that this story foreshadows. That story is of Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus Christ loves us with the most transformative love history has ever known. Like, as you read the Gospels, you see this, that this love that Jesus has for you and I, it literally moves him. It literally moves him from heaven to earth. Like, he becomes a man. God becomes flesh. It's a transformative love. He comes as God in the flesh, but is humble. You ever thought about that? Like he steps off his throne in heaven, comes and lives a life in poverty, a nondescript life for 30 years. Not really people know who he is. We don't have a a written record of who he is. He wasn't a famous guy. And then he comes into the limelight, has his grand opening, comes out as the highlight, and guess what? He's beaten, bruised, and killed on a cross. Jesus' love for you and for me radically transforms us because it's a transformative love. It was a love that led to action. If you know Jesus, you have that love. If you're thinking about, wondering about, how do we have this love? How do we grow in our love? How do we get rooted in this love? And how does it transform us and those around us like it did for Ruth, like it did for Jesus? You need more of Jesus. If you want more love, you need more of Jesus. They're directly connected. His transforming love is the only thing that's going to transform your life. He is the model, the motivation for our love. We need to get more of him. As we talk about knowledge, we need to get more knowledge of him. As we talk about discernment, we need to ask him for discernment and how to make decisions and how to see life as he sees it and respond accordingly. This is the love that Paul prays for. It's a love that that grows, that's rooted, that is transformative, that's efficacious in our life, that brings about a desired effect. How do we get that? It's from Jesus. Verse 11, we just talked about that. I want you to see it in the text. Verse 11, it says, We are filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. That love produces righteousness, that love produces transformation, and it all comes from Jesus Christ. It starts with him. So how do we take these steps? How do you and I begin to take steps in this direction of a love that's like this? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You see, I think for a lot of us, what's keeping us from taking these steps towards 
a growing love, a rooted love, a transformative love, is we don't want to take that risk. Because that, that kind of love, that's a risky love. It's easy to say I love fajitas, the sun, the sports. It's easy even just to voice that you love somebody. But a love that grows, a love that's rooted in knowledge, a love that transforms you and those around you, that's a risky love. It requires us to be vulnerable. It requires us to step out in faith. And I think as we hear a message like this, the tendency for you and I, even now, is to think, yeah, who can love me like this? Like, how can I get more of that love in my life? And maybe we go so far as maybe even right now you're thinking of people in your life and you're, you're blaming them. Like your spouse, like, why, why doesn't he or she love me like this? Like your friendships, why? They don't, I don't see them loving me like this. Like your church, nobody really loves me like this. What if we didn't ask that question? What if we asked a different question? What if we asked the question of, how can I love others like this? Like how can I take that risk in my own life and love other people with a love like this? What if a church, all of us, asked this question, how can we love like this? How would that transform us as a church? How would that go outside of our church into our community, into our city? If we were to ask the question, how can we love like this? Not how can other people love us like this? And guess what? That takes risk. That's always going to take risk on our part. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Um, We we had some tough times in our marriage this week where... um, where we had to get vulnerable with one another, and, and it wasn't a lot of fun, to be honest. Um, one of the nights this week, we had a kind of crazy week, uh, some busyness, some sickness in our family. We have two little kids, and it's always a little bit hectic, to be honest. But uh, this week was a little bit more hectic, and we don't have a church office, and so I often office out of my home unless I'm meeting with people or in a coffee shop. And so I'm at my home office. It's about 6.30 on Tuesday, and I'm getting some work done. I'm still working, 6.30 p.m., and things are a little crazy in our house. And my wife pops in and she says, hey, do you think you could help out a little bit? Like, are you almost done? Do you think you could help out because things are a little crazy out here? I don't know if you heard. And I say, yeah, sure, you know, just in a few minutes, I just need to get these few things done. Well, sure enough, 10 minutes later, my wife pops in again. And she says, hey, are you almost done? Do you think you could help me? And I say, yeah, 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 just let just let me finish this one thing. Let me wrap up this one thing that I'm working on, and then I'll be there. She says, okay. About 10 minutes later, I finish my work, and I come into the kitchen, and my wife is in tears, and she's done. And I asked her if I could share this. Otherwise, I'd probably be in more trouble. Uh, <laughs> but I come in the kitchen, and my wife's in tears, and you can just tell she's done. Like, it's too late for help. And... I uh, begin to talk to my wife and ask her, like, what's wrong? And she begins to tell me, like, it's just been a hard week. It's been hectic. The sickness, the busyness, it's just all a little much. I just needed some help. And for a moment, I felt like apologizing, but I didn't. Instead, I put up a wall. I I said, you know what? There's a lot of husbands who work till 6 or 7 p.m. You know, and in fact, 
most husbands, they don't work from home. So you don't know how good you have it. Bad move. <laughs> really bad move. And I just begin to excuse and defend instead of apologize and repent. I begin to put up a wall instead of allow that wall to be broken down and be vulnerable with my wife. And that didn't help her. That continued to hurt her. And I, by God's grace, was convicted of this by the Holy Spirit's power in my life. And I had to go back to my wife and bring down that wall and say, honey, I'm sorry. You know, all that work I have to do pales in comparison to the importance of this family. My vision for this church pales in comparison to the, my vision for this family. Again, even when it doesn't, it needs to. And I'm sorry. And my defense and my excuses, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have made you feel worse about you feeling frustrated and tired. I shouldn't have done that. And it wasn't okay right after I said that. I could took some time. We had to work that out. Honestly, we're still working that out. Eight years into our marriage, we still have times like this. We hurt one another, and then we put up walls. We defend and excuse instead of apologize and repent. And our love doesn't grow. Our anger does. Our frustration does. Our sin does. And we have to get to a point where God breaks that wall down. And we get vulnerable. That takes risk. I didn't want to take that risk. I imagine if you've been in those situations, you don't want to take that risk. But it's so worth it. Because my wife is gracious and generous with me, and she forgave me. She began to talk about the ways in which she shouldn't have been frustrated. And she totally deserved to be frustrated, but she began to bend a little bit. We both began to bend and become vulnerable and take that risk, and our love is stronger because of it. Listen, those of you guys that are thinking about getting married, we have a lot of young people in our church. Marriage is not absent of conflict, ever. Like, I don't want to depress you, but there's always going to be conflict. You're always going to fight. It's about how you fight clean. To fight clean, to grow your love, even in your marriage, it takes risk, and it will forever. It takes risk in your marriage. It takes risk in your friendships. It takes risk in our church. How many of you are missing out on the love that Paul prays for, this growing love, this rooted love, this transformative love, because you're not willing to take that risk, because you're too busy standing on the sidelines, worrying that if I get in the game, I might get hurt. Worried if I get in the game, if I apologize to my wife, I could lose my ground. Like she could be right. That could be dangerous. We think, I'm not going to join that community group because that could be awkward. I go into a house with some people I don't know, talk about Jesus and my weaknesses, like, sign me up for that. And we don't take that risk. Even if you're in a community group, we think, I'll just come and share my general observations of life. Like the politics, the news, the broader church world. I'll just empty some of that knowledge on these other people, and we never share our lives with anyone with our community, with our friends, with our church. Because we don't want to take that risk. How many of you are spiritual referees calling fouls on everybody else but never willing to get in the game and participate yourself? You stand back from afar and point out things. Like, that, that could be better. Uh, he, could, 
He could do that better. That, that person could love that person better. And if we're honest, we look at our own lives and we're standing so far back, we're not even in the mix at all because we don't want to take that risk because it is risky. You coming in here today is risky. You partnering with us in the gospel like we talked about last week, that's a really risky thing to do. But you know what? It's always worth it. Like when I think about joy beyond my circumstances, every time I've experienced joy in my life, it's always been around other people. It's never been in my se- by myself in a corner of my room reading a book. I mean, there's some joy in that. I like to study. But ultimately, the, the highlights of my life as I look at the timeline of my life, they've always been intermingled with my spouse, with my kids, with my friends, with my church. Like, think about that in your life. It's always worth it to take that risk, to step out in faith, and to love other people like this. Will you get hurt? Yes. Will there be conflict? Yes. But it's always going to be worth it. It's always going to bring joy that goes beyond any circumstance you may face. This is the love that Paul prays for. Some of you, even right now, are thinking, that sounds great, but I'm not willing to take that step. I'm not willing to take that risk. You need to know that Jesus has made it possible for you to take that risk. Jesus has broken down every wall through the cross. Like he has taken your sin and given you his righteousness. He has taken your weakness and given you his strength. He's taken your old life and given you a new life. Like all bets are off. You have nothing to lose. You can take that risk with your community group. You can take that risk with your family. You can take that risk in your church family because you have nothing to lose. Because you have nothing to gain. You can't accomplish more things in your righteousness. You can't accomplish more things in your salvation. Jesus has already done that for you. He's already accomplished it on the cross on your behalf. You have nothing to lose. You can't Earn it, you can't gain more approval. You have nothing to lose. Take that risk today. What if you did that? What if you joined a community group? What if you didn't think of all the reasons why you shouldn't? What if you just signed up and trusted God with the outcome? What if in that community group this week you said, I'm going to share one piece of my life with these people? Like You don't have to go nuts. You don't have to share your whole story. But this week you begin to share one aspect of your life with your community group. What if your spouse, what if you had that conversation where you had to apologize? What if with that friend you had that serious conversation that you've been putting off because it was worth the risk, because you knew your love would grow because of that, that it had the possibility to transform you and transform those around you. As Phoenix Bible Church, this is the love that we want to be defined by. It's why in our mission statement we say we want to love Jesus, and we want that to lead to living like him, to leading others to him, that other people in this community, that other people in this city would know about Phoenix Bible Church and hear about Phoenix Bible Church because of our love that's like this, an efficacious love, a transforming love. What if we begin to take steps in that direction today? I don't know about you, but we need to pray for that. We need to pray for that as Paul prays for that. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you give us the model and the motivation for love. That we don't have to muster that up. 
We don't have to create that and manufacture that in our lives, that you have loved us like this. God, I pray that we would step out and take whatever risk we need to take today. That for these men and women right now, as we're sitting in this room, that they would begin to think about the risk they need to take. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's an apology. For the sake of love. Maybe it's joining a community group. For the sake of love. Maybe it's in your community group, stepping out in faith and sharing your life with other people. For the sake of a love that's growing, rooted, and transforming. Father, I pray that you would help us to take those steps this morning. That today would be the day where that began to change. Where fear would go to love. Where sin would go to righteousness. We would see this take place in our lives. That it wouldn't just be something we read about on a page. It wouldn't just be an experience that we have on a Sunday morning. But it would be life transforming. God, I pray that our community, our city would see that. And they would be changed as well. It all starts with Jesus, and so we pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to respond now as we heard the truth of Scripture. A lot of times it's easy for us to just hear that and think about some other things and go do some other things. We don't want you to do that. We want you to sit in this moment and respond to what you just heard, the truth of Scripture. The first way we're going to do that is to give, and so I'd invite our financial stewards to come forward. We're going to give because Jesus gives us everything. He gave us love for us. I alluded to it earlier. He comes to the earth. He literally gives us his life. And so we give. A lot of the ways as we meet as a lead team, as we meet as community group leaders, as I sit at home and think and pray about our church, a lot of the ways that I want to see Phoenix Bible Church grow is in our love for one another and our love for other people. And a lot of that is helped by us giving tangibly, like we can think creatively, strategically about how to reach this community and reach this city and maybe one day plant another church that could do that in another part of the city. That's our desire as a church, and we'd ask you to give. That's what you're giving towards when you give. Then we're going to respond by taking communion. We're going to celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, the greatest love that anybody has ever known, as he laid down his life for us. This is a time for people who have believed in Jesus, people who have taken that first risk and said, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe in you. I repent from my sin. I turn to you. If you've never done that, we'd ask that you not take communion, but that you spend this time in prayer, not listening to me, not even listening to these guys, but talking to Jesus, giving your life to him. You can do that today, and then you can come and take communion for the first time. We'll wait on you as long as you need. And then we're going to stand and sing. We're going to sing and celebrate for some of us this love that we know and experience, this love that's abounding more and more in our lives, that's transforming us and those around us. And for some of us, you need to take some time to continue to pray, to ask God to change your heart, to change your mind, that he would transform you, that you would begin to feel this love and to give this love away. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand now uh, together. And as we prepare our hearts to sing, verse 11 ends this way. It says, this, all of this is to the glory and praise of God. That when we love others, that when we love God, that he gets all the glory. That we exalt him. That's why as a new church, we want to love people well because ultimately it's all for his 
glory. Because God looks great as we love others because we show that he's worth it. We're going to sing about that now as we celebrate him. Let's do that together.